0: And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to the Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the word of God. Let's go again to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we are in the practical side of Ephesians, and we're looking at this practical side of Ephesians, and, and as we're doing it this time, we're sort of focusing on how the practical side of Ephesians is the application of the great truth in the doctrinal side, the overwhelming overall truth being the great mystery, that one body. And we saw last time some of the details about how the one body has been designed by God to edify itself in love and how God put the members in the body to do that so that they could build one another up in love. Now, in order for that to happen, in order for the individual members to be building up one another in love, they have to individually be living God's Word. If this one body is going to function as the body of Christ, the individual members of the body have to themselves be Christ-like. They have to put on the new man, and that's where we left off last time. And we'll go in Ephesians 4 to right where we left off. In verse 22, well, back up a little bit. Um, Verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ, in that ye have been heard, if so be, that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. Former conversation, and that you have to understand that word conversation according to its biblical usage, not not the current. Conversation today means two people talking, two or more people talking. But in King James' time, that meant referred to your manner of living. That ye put off concerning the former manner of living, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We have to put off the old man, that old nature. The way that we do that is as we put on the new man. You can't just stop doing the old man without putting on the new man. And if you want to really do, become Christ-like, it requires the renewed mind process. It requires not just adopting a certain code of conduct. The renewed mind, the specifics of the renewed mind, the things we're going to be looking at here in Ephesians 4, this isn't the new version of the Old Testament law. This isn't just thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. This isn't just a new way of saying you shouldn't lie or you shouldn't steal. This is how to put on the new man. And that requires, that new man requires that we recognize who we are spiritually. We recognize that we have this new nature, this Christ in us, that we have this new nature And we make the decision then to live that way, to live on a higher plane, to choose to live the new man instead of the old man. The old man's still there. And if you go back into Romans, it talks about these two natures in more detail. If you read Romans chapter 7, it talks about the old man and the new man. And it talks about, Paul talks about how The things that he would like to do, somehow, he just couldn't get around to doing. And the things that he didn't want to do, those are the things that he ended up doing time and again. That's the battle of the two natures. That's the old man versus the new man. And the only way that we get beyond that predicament of not ever getting to the place of really being the people that we want to be of really being those wonderful, loving, Christ like men and women that God made us to be, the way that we get to that is by putting on this new man, recognizing the new nature, seeing ourselves that way, picturing that, and then acting in light of it. And recognizing I've got something more I can draw on. The old nature, the old man, the old Pat Malone, you know. He may have had a terrible temper. And if I was limited to that, I'd just say, well, that's that's just who I am. That's just my nature. That's just my disposition. I just have a bad temper. But the new man's not limited to that. He can change. And then verse 25 says, wherefore. Now, we've, we've dealt with these therefores and wherefores a couple of times now already. So what does the wherefore indicate? That that which is about to follow is a result of that which has just previously been stated. Now, you don't have to answer out loud. In fact, I'm just saying you don't, because you won't all say the same words. Um, But what is the wherefore specifically referring to? What is it referring to specifically of what's been previously stated? Take a look at that. And try to identify wherefore putting away lying speak every man truth of his neighbor for we are members one of another here begins a list of things that we are to put away we are putting off the old man and putting on the new man and as a result of putting off the old And putting on the new we put away all these other things that it's listed that's what it's referring back to what it's referring back to is that decision to put off the old and put on the new and it tells us what changes we have to make but these changes that we are to make go back to how we grow up in Christ how we walk with Christ how we walk with God and walk in that new man so that we can build up the body. Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. Do you see how it relates back to that one body? In that one body, we are members one of another, and because of that, we're to put away lying and instead speak truth. If you're going to put away lying, you have to speak truth. Verse 26, be angry, period. No. no. <laughs> be angry and sin not. Anger is something that it's an emotion. It's an emotion. And, you know, depending on the circumstances, you very well may be right to be angry in certain situations. Jesus Christ was angry. It talks about that in Mark chapter 3. Jesus Christ was angry. He was angry at the Pharisees for the hardness of the heart when he was healing the man with, that would have the withered hand, and, and they were only concerned about him doing it on the Sabbath day. He was angry, but did he sin? No. no. Did he start cussing those guys out? Did he go over and smack one in the face? Did he go over and punch a guy? And No, you, no he didn't lose control. He didn't lose control. He didn't allow that anger to cause him to sin. Instead, he did what was right in that situation. Be angry and sin not. Don't allow anger to cause you to do something that would be wrong, to say words that would hurt people, to do actions that would be hurting to people, to break your fellowship with God. But rather, rather than react in that situation, act in that situation with the way that God would have you to do. It goes on to say, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, one of the ways that you would sin is if you did let the sun go down upon your wrath, if you held it in. And you know what? I use the example of being angry and sinning as the guy that yells and screams or the guy who hits somebody or something else. But it can be just as much a sin, the fellow that never says anything but just holds it in. And people don't think about that one. Because if that's the case, you know what that anger turns into? Bitterness, Mm -hmm. wrath, you see. Mm -hmm. Then it just festers. Then it just builds. Then rather than dealing with that situation and handling it, it just begins to build walls of resentment toward people. Mm -hmm. That's why we're to not let the sun go down upon our wrath. We're not to just let things... Just stay inside of our minds, but rather handle them. Whatever that requires to honestly handle it in a way that's right with God. Whether that's having a conversation with the person or just being able to be big enough to forgive and forget about it. But whatever it takes, we move on. Verse 27. Neither give place to the devil... Neither give place to the devil, and that giving place to the devil, you know, it doesn't mean you know that you're not just telling you not to make a little room for him, and you know, start putting, becoming a, a satanist or something like that. But not giving place to him means that we don't allow him to have a foothold in our life. Mm. We don't give him the opportunity to have a foothold in our life. Because you know what? If he gains a foothold, he will move in. He'll move in and he'll take over and he'll take control away from you eventually. And he'll run your life and he'll run it into the ground. He'll just rack and ruin a person. He'll destroy everything that they value if you give him that place. We have to stay wise spiritually. We have to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle. We have to see life through spiritual eyes. That's so important. You've got to always know that there's what, there is that which God, the knowledge that comes from God, and the knowledge that comes from the adversary. That there's spiritual knowledge and there's earthly knowledge, which is, you know, senses and, and carnal and devilish. And there's not like you in the middle. Kind of like being the arbitrator of all that. It took me a while to get that, you know? When I first got in the Word, you know, I was like, oh, I, I know the Word says this, but, you know, I used to think that, and, you know, a lot of people say this, and, you know, I'll just kind of decide what I like for my life. <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> there's two columns to pick from here, <laughs> and you're choosing either food that is really healthy or really poison. one of the two. When you recognize that, when you recognize the simplicity that every good thing is from God and every bad thing is from the devil, it simplifies life. When you recognize that God's always voting for you and the devil's always voting against you and your vote determines the election, then you're on a good track as long as you vote the right way. We'll keep reading. Verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, period. No, No, it's not a period. And, you know, I know punctuation was not in the original, but the thought doesn't stop there is is the point. The thought doesn't just stop with let him that stole steal no more. And yet that's as far as the Old Testament took it, right? Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not steal. But here, again, we live on a higher plane. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just stop with don't steal anymore. But rather, it goes on to say, let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that, here's purpose, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Wow, that's quite a big difference from the guy stealing, right? Not only does God not want the guy to quit stealing, he wants him to start working, not just so he doesn't have to steal, but so that he can have to give. Here's the fellow that one day is stealing from people, and now God says, I want you instead to give to people. That's quite a turnaround, isn't it? Yeah. But that's how much of a higher plane in every category God is asking us to live. That higher plane, boy, that's when we become men and women that are spiritually minded, spiritual men and women. That's when we're walking with God. That's when we are being Christ-like, and that's when we can really make a difference, when we can build other people up, when we can change the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's such a great opportunity to do, to change the world, to change it one situation at a time. (laughs) Did I tell you the starfish story yet? No, I told it at other times. You know... When it comes to changing the world, it is big, but you do it one at a time. And it's like the fella, as the story goes, that was walking along the beach. And as he walked, he was picking up starfish that had washed up on shore, and he was throwing them back into the ocean. And somebody else came along and asked, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm I'm saving these starfish. I'm throwing them back into the ocean. And he said, well... There's so many of them. Look at that. What difference can you make? And as he picked up one and threw it in, he said, made a difference to that one. Made a difference to that one. That's how life is. Mm. But if everybody was doing that, boy, think of what the result would be. Mm. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What is corrupt communication? Most people think that means, you know, four-letter words. But look at the context. The context is it's in, in contrast to that which is good for the use of edifying, of building up. The word corrupt means that which tears down. Mm. It means that which tears down. It's, it's the same word that's used when it comes to, like, the body decaying. And our words can have the effect of tearing people down or building them up. Mm. Again, we choose. We choose whether we want to go through life looking to build people up, making them feel better, or just making them feel worse. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. You know, there's the obvious. If I, If I call somebody certain names, that probably would, you know, certain, you know, words that are considered corrupt, um, yeah, that would do it. Um, If I call you a low-down, you know, no good side-winding polecat, you'd think I just stepped out of a Looney Tunes cartoon, but, you know, you you put in whatever you want for those instead. (laughs) Those would tear you down, right? But also, you know, you can tear people down not just by mean words, you know, calling them names or insulting them, but it, you can also tear people down just by negativity, mm-hmm. just by negativity, and and too few people think about that one. Just by you know, oh my gosh, what a lousy day! My goodness, look at the weather! Oh my gosh, have you heard the news? Have you heard that? Okay, do you think that fellow felt better when you left him? No. <laughs> we choose. To build up or to tear down, and we're not to let any corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. We're to build up. And again, as we build up with our words, we're building this body of Christ. We're making the whole body stronger. Verse 30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. How do you grieve, how would you grieve the Holy Spirit? Spirit, Spirit, how can you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, you grieve it by by letting it go to waste, by not using it. God's given us this gift of Holy Spirit. We have this gift of Holy Spirit that has sealed us unto the day of redemption. And if it just sits there and we never do anything with it, what a waste, what a waste. God didn't give us this Holy Spirit just as a ticket to heaven. It's power. When Jesus Christ told them to tarry on the day of the Ascension, to tarry in Jerusalem until you be filled with power from on high, that was power. It was power. Power that they got. Power that God gave us that he wants us to use. It's more than just a ticket to heaven. It is the power for abundant living. It is how we walk with God and how we can manifest that Holy Spirit, how we can worship God perfectly, how we can bring a message from Him, how we can walk by revelation, how we can do signs, miracles, and wonders. And God wants that for us. And that's part of what we do as we put on the new man. But you cannot do it outside of the context of putting on the new man. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of the bitterness, bitterness. You know, I've heard people tell me that they have a good reason to be bitter, that they were just hurt so bad. What happened to them was so terrible, so unforgivable. So bad that there's, of course, they just have to still be hurt 25, 30 years later. (laughs) Well, that's just bitterness. That's just bitterness. You know, one of the words for bitterness, or the word for bitterness, one of the ways it's used in in literature is it's used of a wound that's never allowed to heal. You know, I got a little, I don't know, the dog, I think, did it to me, a little scratch here on, on my wrist. And bitterness is like every time I look at that thing and say, oh, I got hurt there. Let me just tear that scab off again. And just never allow it to heal. Just keep on tearing that scab off. That's what bitterness is. People get hurt. And rather than allow God to heal them, they just keep bringing that hurt up. They keep meditating on it. They keep dwelling on it. They just keep ruminating on it. They keep replaying it in their mind how terribly they were hurt. And how justified they are in being hurt. And it never gets healed. Now, like everything else here, it's a choice. You can choose to do that. I think you're silly if you do. <laughs> Why would you want that hurt? Why would you want to keep that hurt going? Why would you want to feel that pain over and over and over again? God says, let all bitterness be put away from you, along with wrath and anger to not hold on to things. You know, no matter how justified you may think you are in being angry, and no matter how much reason you think you have to hold on to a grudge, God says, put it away. Put it away. And you know what? You're only hurting yourself, but you're hurting more than yourself. You are hurting yourself, but you're hurting the entire body of Christ. Because to that extent, you can't build up. You can't be walking around with that kind of hurt and still be doing all that you could for others. Hmm. Clamor, clamor is just, you know, foolish speaking, it's just empty words. And evil speaking, it is what it is, you know, it is what it sounds like evil speaking. People just talking badly about other people, you know. Why? What does that accomplish? What profit is there in that? Evil speaking. Tearing people down, gossiping about people, judging people, criticizing people, all of those things. None of that helps anyone. So put it away from you with all malice, and all malice is every evil intent. Get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. Put it away. We put off the old man as we put on the new, and... Verse 32 gives us the new and be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Instead of being angry, bitter, having wrath, evil speaking, be kind, be tender hearted, tender hearted. You know, if you allow resentment to build, you become hard hearted. Instead, if you're tender hearted, then, man, you're able to receive love, and you're able to give it. A hard heart can neither receive or give love. A hard heart can neither receive nor give love. But tender heart, a tender heart can. Hmm. And forgiving, you know, and that's what it takes to do all that. It takes forgiveness. There just has to be so much forgiveness in life. We have to just be so willing to forgive other people. We have to be willing to forgive people, whether they sin against us not just seven times, but 70 times seven. We have to be willing to forgive people no matter how, how grievous the, the sin is, no matter how, how badly they hurt us. Why? Because they deserve it? No. Because they've earned it? No. No. In most cases, they probably neither deserve it, nor have they worked their way back into your good graces. That's not the standard. Nor is it even that they're sorry. You know, well, I don't forgive them because they're not sorry. Okay. Well, you might find an argument for that thinking in the Gospels, but again, we live on a higher plane. The standard of why we forgive is in this verse. Even has God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Why do we forgive? For one reason. Because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. That's it. That's it. It's like that wonderful parable about you know the the guy, the servant, who came to his master and said, who owed him a whole lot of money, a big, big amount of money, and he was about ready to be sold in, uh, to somebody else, him and his family. And he came to the master and he said, you know, Please, have compassion on me. Give me a little more time, and I'll repay it. And that master forgave him his debt. Didn't just give him a little more time. He wiped the debt clean. And then, what did that fellow do? He had somebody that owed him money, and when that fellow, when he went to that fellow and tried to collect, and the fellow didn't have the money, he grabbed him by the throat, and he said, pay me or I'm going to throw you in jail. And that parable, in the context of forgiving and how many times we forgive Mm -hmm. you know we forgive because we've been forgiven because we had a great debt and if if you have a hard time forgiving I'll say it first this way you just don't recognize how much God's forgiven you for and you just haven't gotten honest that's that's the reality of it you just haven't gotten honest about how much God's forgiven you for Because if anybody's really honest, they'll recognize how many times they've gone against God's will. How many times they've been angry and have sinned. How many times they haven't told the truth. How many times they have done spoken words that tore other people down. You know, if you think about all that God has and continues to forgive you for, then forgiveness is not a problem. Chapter 5 says... Be therefore followers of God has dear children. And although it's a new chapter, the thought is a continuation, as you can tell by that word therefore. Be therefore. You know, followers of God, and that word followers means imitators. Mm-hmm. Imitators of God has dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. This is why God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us, because Jesus Christ gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God. He paid the price for our sins. He paid the price with his life, and it wasn't for his sins but for all of ours. And because of that, God forgave us, and God is love. God is love, and we are to be imitators of him and walk in love. Walk in love in the same manner that Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ loved without any limit. He paid the ultimate price. He, he <laughs> you know, here's a meme for you. I've <laughs> seen these memes on Facebook about you know, believing in something to the point that you're willing to sacrifice all. Well, he's the one that really sacrificed all. He's the one that really sacrificed all because he believed in what God sent him to do. And we now have this life. We have this wonderful life where we have eternal life, where we've been given this great gift of Holy Spirit, where we are blessed with all spiritual blessings, and God, once again, just would ask that we do something with it. God bless you. You can't bring me down, no word is on my mind.